0: Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. It's the word of the Lord. I uh, know Ethan is out, and so this really wasn't the youth band, it was a mishmash. You've even got Jonathan back, which is great. Keith's still helping and everything. Keith uh, sang a wonderful song. Keith, I know you're back there. Just, what, what was name, He laughed They named him Laughter? What was the name of it? <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> He's actually getting me back. I I stepped in too early, and whitney I called Whitney up too early, and I I gave a big swoop for the choir and everything, and he really resented that. I turned around and did that, and he looked at me like, who are you? So uh, that's what he's doing there. It was a wonderful song until just a minute ago, in my opinion. Uh, Oh, it's just great, and it talks about how what was such an impossibility came to fruition. And, And what's amazing to me is the church started with a joke you ever thought about that? The church started with a joke because the history of ancient Israel started with a joke. Have you heard the one about Abraham and Sarah? Here she is, what, 90 years old and nauseated with morning sickness, craving pickles and pizza, this kind of thing. Someone has said that Sarah is the only woman in town who paid her obstetrician with her Social Security check. Think about that. And the divine joke started with laughter, which I heard just a moment ago. But think about it. At first, at least, it was the laughter of disbelief. It was the laughter of, you've got to be kidding me. But the laughter of disbelief became the laughter of faith. And Abraham and Sarah shared that with each other in this chapter that Brian read. uh, they share it with each other and with their God and with their family, their tribe. And then there's that wonderful verse 6 where Sarah exclaims in joy, everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And this is your and my opportunity to laugh with Sarah over what was impossible for us but not for God. And you're invited to share in the laughter of faith today. And how do we get in that Spirit, I wish we had baby Isaac here to show off and I could dedicate him. But he's already gone on to be with his maker and everything. But we do have baby Micah. And in a sense, is Micah here to uh, kind of celebrate the the new Micah or Micah love who will come soon uh, for the Simpsons. But this is actually a little baby named Micah. And it just says a lot about babies. when they can just be sent into orbit uh, because Dad is tearing some paper. So I just thought this would get us ready. So go ahead. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. Now, if you did not at least smile, uh, who's the physician here? Joe, hands back here. He'll take your um, blood pressure. Uh, But even as we laugh, it is important to understand at the same time, this really is one of the great moments in the history, not just of Israel, but of the church. Really, I guess you could say holy history. This is without question one of the great events in the Old Testament, right up there in many ways with Moses leading... The Israelites out of Egyptian bondage or the new covenant that God gave through the prophet Jeremiah. I mean, this is, this is an amazing moment. The New Testament refers to this event of the birth of Isaac 50 times. I don't know if there's another Old Testament reference that comes into play so much in the New Testament. So this is very, very significant. But even as we know today that you know Isaac was the fulfillment of these promises and all, it can still be tough for you and me sometimes. When we're facing difficult circumstances, when we're uncertain about something, when we're frustrated, when we're fearful. And sometimes it's hard for you and me to have the laughter of faith. We can even become rather negative and cynical about it. Which leads me to, it's interesting, the two times that laughter is referred to specifically in the New Testament. Do you know when they are? And people ask me parenthetically, you know, did Jesus laugh? No doubt he did. He used a lot of humor. There's a wonderful book by a guy named Elton Trueblood... ...called the humor of Christ, and I think he he shows, I think it's 32 instances that where Jesus uses humor. Now, we don't always appreciate it because, you know, the way that you used whatever, hyper- hyperbole or irony back then, you know, it was funny back then. It was one of those locational joke kind of things. But where in the New Testament is laughter actually mentioned? Two places. And the first place it's mentioned, it is a negative kind of sinful laughter. Does anybody know where it is? It's when Jesus goes into the home of Jairus, the administrator of the synagogue... Who came and fell at Jesus' feet saying, my daughter is dying. Jesus enters this room where people have been weeping and wailing. They fall silent when Jesus walks in. Jesus walks into the room and says, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. And I'm sure after a silent pause, they broke out laughing. But it was the laughter, no doubt, of disbelief of cynicism, of you've got to be kidding me. Here Jesus is bringing a word of life into a moment of grief and darkness and hopelessness and saying something good and life-breathing, but they could not believe it. So how do you and I move from the cynical laughter of disbelief, and I would say the cynical laughter of the world, to the laughter of faith? Well, first of all, I would encourage us, based on the passage this morning, marvel at your salvation. It's hard for us sometimes to get to a point of really thinking wondrously, musing wondrously over what it means for us to be saved, to be followers of Christ, to receive eternal life. If you go to Romans 4, that's what's so great about it. Paul compares the physical birth of Isaac to the spiritual birth of any of us who profess faith in Christ and how significant that is because what he's saying is both are impossible. Impossible for this 90-year-old woman to give birth, but she does. Impossible for you and I who are dead to our sin and our trespasses to suddenly come to life. Really, in a sense, for the first time. To a life that transcends even this reality as we know it to a life beyond. He brought the impossible along. When was the last time we marveled at what an incredible work of God, this miracle that it is? Tim Keller tells a wonderful story about a minister friend of his who was visiting Italy, and he had gone to a church service on a Sunday morning and then walked out and saw the cemetery that was adjacent to the church building, and it was a very attractive uh, cemetery, and he thought, well, I'll go look around. Well, he went out with some of the members who who kind of escorted him around, and they came upon this interesting-looking grave, and they said, ah, this is what we call the acorn grave, and he said, well, I've got to know what you mean by that, and you could tell by how, how strange it looked. It was a grave of a man who had died centuries before who was really down on Christianity, didn't believe it, was cynical about it, was probably a little afraid of it too. And he literally had a huge slab stone put over his grave so that he couldn't be raised from the dead even if there was a resurrection. He kind of did that tongue-in-cheek. But he had all these insignia all over this slab of rock like, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. But what's amazing is, though he died so long ago, people still talk about the acorn. See, when he was buried, at some point later on an acorn fell on that grave, obviously. And then some 100 years later, it grew up through the grave and split that slab. Just split it in two. And now it's a tall, towering oak tree with two pieces of the slab on either side. That's what's so strange about this grave. And it's the acorn grape. And this minister thought to himself, if an acorn which has the power of biological life can split a slab of that magnitude, what can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in the life of someone who accepts it in his heart? When you become a follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit enters your soul, when you become the Holy Spirit's address, do you realize what a miracle that is? You know, you really think about that, and you think about eternal life, and you think of any confusion with which you are struggling, any uncertainty, any struggle, any anger, any grudge. Let the list go on and on. And you know, in a lot of ways, those things all split and roll off that slab. They just split and roll off because we realize ultimately those things will not defeat us. Ultimately, if you have become a part of what we call eternity, nothing can harm you. Do we recognize what a gift that is and what a miracle that is? And it's so powerful if you read on in chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Paul is careful to say that Abraham and Sarah were physically as good as dead, but by faith they were made righteous with God. And he goes on to say, and that righteousness is offered to us as well, verse 24. What what a gift. And, and, And have we claimed that miracle as of late so we can laugh? that laughter of faith. But there's another way that we can move from that laughter of disbelief to the laughter of faith. And that is simply, and I know we've been talking about this with this series on Abraham, trust in God's time, not yours. There is our time, Kronos. There is also God's time, kairos, which is the fullness of time, and it's the time that really revolves around God who is sovereign over all things and you're not. I'm sorry if there's the news, but we're not and so often we have that gift of hindsight. How many times have you looked back and realized that's what God was trying to tell me? That's how God brought me through that. Here's the revelation that I needed that helped me understand or that brought this concern into something good. God worked something good with it. And you notice that three times just in the first two verses of chapter 21 of Genesis. It's like God saying, I told you so. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah... What he had promised, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. How often do you and I have that gift of hindsight we realize, wow, you know, he was there all along. And it's great to reflect on those. But even before, as we're journeying on, you know, as we've waited for something, waited for that answer, waited for that fulfillment, waited for this thing uh, to come down to a a wonderful closure or resolution – I think it's important to keep in mind that God is repeating his promises to us along the way. Sometimes really just what it takes is us to have the eyes of faith, the ears of faith, the heart of faith, that we might see these signs around us, hear them, maybe not audibly, but sense them and sense them in our hearts. He kept repeating his promises to Abraham. It's interesting when you look at it. He told them over and over You're going to be the parents of a great nation. And really of multiple nations. He started talking about that in chapter 12. He repeats it in chapter 12. Then he repeats it again in chapter 13. He repeats it again in 15, 17. And now it has come to fruition with the birth of Isaac. And I think he does. In fact, I know he does that for us. Now we might not experience the answer, the revelation, the closure. Whatever word you want to use for it. We might not Have it realized for us when exactly we want it to be realized. But it does come along, and he will repeat it in many and various ways. In fact, sometimes he doesn't reveal it to us all at once, and I think partly that's for our benefit. I think that is a grace in many ways. That's what he does with Abraham. If you go back to chapter 12, basically he says to Abram, you know, turn to the west and walk and go away from Ur. I'm going to make you a father of nations. Oh, okay. And that's all he says. He doesn't explain how he's going to do it. You've got to go to Genesis 13. Does he get the full answer there? No, it says that Abraham was walking in faith. And God came to him and said, look north, look south, look east, look west. I'm going to give you all of this one day and your offspring will be many. And he's like, okay, now how's that going to happen? I know that, that my wife is, uh, is barren, so I don't know if it's going to happen that way. How's that going to happen? Well, God doesn't reveal that yet. You go to chapter 15, and he says, no, this is going to be a son who comes from your own body, is what God tells him. He's thinking, okay, well, it can't be Sarah. Uh, and then they try to take matters into their own hands, like we talked about last week, and the Hagar thing did not work out well. So he's still mystified. Well, well how is this going to happen? How, how is this going to – and then you get to chapter 17, and, and <laughs> that's where God tells him, no, Sarah's going to give birth. And Abraham literally falls on his face laughing, and then he pulls Sarah in on the revelation in Genesis 18, and she laughs as well. And I think it reminds you me that sometimes God in His grace doesn't reveal the answer to us, the resolution to us all at once. Sometimes I, I don't think we could handle it. I don't think Abraham could have handled it all at once. But the most important thing to keep in mind is God will continue to reveal signs to us along the way. He does that regularly. He does that for us. But that's the tough part. (laughs) How many times do you look up and say, can I just please have the map? Can I please see how this is going to end? But he does not work it that way in his sovereign will. He wants us to be people of faith. Again, the whole title of this whole series. That's why they call it faith. How many of y'all have ever heard of uh, Jody erickson who who's an amazing uh, woman of the church? Anybody heard of her? She uh, is a quadriplegic, had a diving accident, and is just really one of the great spokespersons of the church, I think. And one time a reporter from the New York Times asked her, how would you define faith? And she put it this way, and I think it's just very to the point and practical. She said, faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. It's simply taking God at his word and taking the next step and trusting he will give you signs as you step. That's, I'm going to say this again. Faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. It's simply taking God at his word and taking the next step and trusting he will give you signs as you step. I wonder if there is some part of your life right now where you, you're just thinking to yourself, well, I could really use a sign." Right I really need to sense God's working in and through this situation in which I find myself. I am struggling to trust Romans 8:28, where it says, In all things God does work for good. You will hear, you will see, you will experience those signs. We need to pray that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to experience. But you will receive those along the way. That is always how he works. How do I know that? How do we know that? Because always we look back. Just as Abraham and Sarah did where it says, as he promised, as he said, as he promised. Trust in his promises as he has always come through with them. You will get your sign in due time. And as we live this laughter of faith, we've got to do one other thing. Remember that God has the last laugh. God always does I love it in chapter 8 where Sarah gets pulled into it. She overhears, supposedly, you know, that, that she's supposed to have a child. And she just starts laughing. And God asks – it's a great, great little section because God asks Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And then later on, it's, you know, Abraham looks at her. Did you laugh? No, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did yesterday. It's a great little tiff that they had. It's just wonderful. But there's that wonderful verse after she laughs. And he says, why is Sarah laughing? And then he says what? Is anything – Too wonderful for the Lord? Is there anything that is too wonderful for the Lord? And what I love is he puts the joke back on her. He says, Sarah, just for that, you're going to have a boy, and I'm going to name him Isaac because it means laughter. So you can remember that the final laugh is on you. The joke's on you. How do you like that? Who's laughing now? Wonderful, wonderful story. And it reminds you and me that even as we all know how screwed up this world is. How dark this world can be. How God forsaken this world can be. And, and, and can you ever, with when it gets so bad, do you ever actually sense evil laughing? Do you ever sense that? But we're reminded through this passage and obviously through the revelation of Jesus Christ that even so, when the laughter that is so dark. And yes, so evil and so negative and seemingly hopeless and so faith-challenging. When we hear that and it gets louder and louder, we've got to remind ourselves that indeed God has the last laugh. And what's so great about it is that joy-quenching laughter is overcome and God gets the last laugh. And I love that verse where Sarah says, everyone who hears of this miracle will laugh with me. When was the last time you, if, even if you didn't laugh, did you smile or at least have joy within yourself when you realized what a miracle it was that the impossibility of your brokenness was made whole because of what Christ did for you on the cross? I mentioned that the first time laughter is mentioned in the New Testament, it really was a cynical, negative laughter. And you know what? That kind of laughter is invoked today. Witty atheism is, is, is big. You know, clever agnosticism is big. And even sometimes among brothers and sisters in Christ, we can be a little more negative, a little more snarky, a little bit more sarcastic than we need to be. Again, in some ways it's a coping mechanism. But in some ways it's us kind of confessing in an indirect way that the evil of the world is getting the best of us. It's it's infiltrating us in a way that it does not need to. But that's the first time (laughs) that it was mentioned in the New Testament. It was a cynical laughter. In the midst of a time of darkness and grief and death. But you know the other time laughter is actually mentioned in the New Testament? Does anybody know? It's in Luke 6, 21. And it's really a beatitude that Jesus says. And it's, it's funny because I think it's one of the lesser known beatitudes. But it's right there in Scripture. And it's this. "Blessed," Jesus says, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Isn't that great? Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. I think probably the most important theologian of our time is a guy named Jürgen Moltmann who wrote a book called The Crucified God. And in that book he says, God weeps with us so that one day we may laugh with him. I think it's a beautiful, in a sense, a paraphrase of that passage in Luke. You know what I love about laughter? Some of y'all are... Is there anybody in here who's never heard of Bob Hope? Can I just ask? Oh, God. Okay, good. I feel better. Bob Hope was a great comedian and everything. Really legendary guy. And And... He said that laughter is an instant vacation. <laughs> I love that. It's an instant vacation. You just suddenly, as you're actually convulsing in laughter, you're getting away from stress and pain and suffering or whatever else there is in the world. I think he's right. It's an instant vacation. But I think it's even more. I think it is a spiritual glimpse into what eternity will be like. I want you to think about that. You know, as you're laughing, isn't that a great sensation? I think it's a very spiritual kind of exercise because as you are laughing, think about it. Nothing matters. Nothing matters except savoring that sensation of laughter. And at that moment, it's it's really pain-free and stress-free and confusion-free and uncertainty-free and doubt-free. Doesn't that remind you of Revelation 21 where it says every tear will be Dried right, And basically what? Tears will be no more and suffering will be no more. And stress and strain will be no more. Death will be no more. Darkness will be no more. That's what laughter is. I think it is a wonderful earthly glimpse of what the kingdom will be like. Except it's going to be even, even, even much more than that. Reminds me of Ephesians 3.20 where it says what? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you can even imagine. You know, if we have that to look forward to. Nothing can really get the best of us. Nothing really can. Think about all these amazing jokes that he played. A nine-year-old woman having a kid. A murderer who winds up leading people from Egyptian bondage. This This little kid who winds up defeating a giant. This God who miraculously, mysteriously sends his son into the world to teach us how to live And who died for us and taught us how to die to self. And actually got up after three days. That we might get up one day too after we die. Amazing. Christians don't see a hopeless end. We see an endless hope. We need to keep that in mind. There is that cynical, biting, negative laughter. But then there's the laughter of joy that really is deliverance from pain. Deliverance from pain. Larry Crabb is a guy, he's a pastoral counselor. He's written many books on Christian counseling. And in and, and one of his books, he talked about a friend of his named John. And they were kind of having kind of a deep session over lunch. It wasn't a counseling session, but it was over lunch. And this friend of his named John was just recounting how he grew up in a very tough household, a very angry family. And he said that meal times were the worst. He said it was either just stone silence. With a heavy weight of silence going on. Or there was a lot of just, you know, snarky, sarcastic humor and people just cutting each other down. And he said he just could not take it after some time. And he started leaving the table early if he could get away. And he would go down to this house. It was like a big old-fashioned house down the street. And he would always hear laughter in there. And John would literally get up under the porch and just sit there and listen to this family. Usually as they were uh, having dinner. And he would just hear the laughter and savor that laughter. And he would imagine to himself, what would it be like to be in this house? And Larry looked at John and he said, John, what if, what, what if that the father of that family sent his son down and somehow he knew that you were under the porch and sent his son down to invite you up into that room and you sat down at the table to have a meal with them and there was laughter and joy. And let's say you sat down, and as you sat down, you accidentally spilled the water on your shirt. And what if the father just belly laughed out loud and said, you know, get him another shirt, get him a dry shirt, give him another glass of water. I want him to enjoy this meal with us. And he said, John just welled up with tears, and he said, that would have meant everything. And Larry said to him, John, you've been invited into that house. And so have we. So have we. We've been invited to that same house. Where Sarah and Abraham. And all other flawed. Dysfunctional. Stumbling Christians are invited. It's so helpful to read this story of Abraham. And really go through it as truthfully. And raw as we have. Because they were not perfect by any stretch. No need to idolize them. They stumbled and fell. As you and I do. And yet. Nevertheless, there was enough faith in them to press on that promises would be fulfilled and they can be just the same for you. No matter how prodigal you've been, no matter how prodigal you've been, you can always re-enter the home and there's a celebration going on. And what great news. Let's pray together. Lord, once again we confess our severe dysfunction and our flaws. And ways that we have so let you down. Ways that we have so denied you. We confess to you now once again how desperately we need you. And we thank you so much that we can have glimpses of the joy that awaits. And we ask that just as Abraham no doubt struggled to wait for the fulfillment of some promise. There are some of us in here who are desperate to get resolution on some matter need an answer to something, who need to be reconciled to someone in some way. And Lord, it is hard. It is difficult. And yet that's why you named it faith. May we trust in your sovereignty. And Lord, give us the spiritual sensitivity to see the signs about us that can keep us going, trusting that one day we will look back and say, ah, that's what you were doing. That's why this happened. This is why I needed to journey through this. Lord, help us to trust and be a people of true faith. We pray these things in your name. Amen.